Welcome to the All Things Protest podcast. I'm your host, Rob Sneckenberg, and I'm joined today by my partner, Anuj Vora. Today, we're going to cover two very recent decisions addressing when agencies can create and how courts must consider contracting officer organizational conflict of interest determinations that are made in the middle of a protest. The first case is CACI Inc. from the Federal Circuit, and the second is Piedmont Propulsion from the Court of Federal Claims. I've invited Anuj to join me today because in a past life, he litigated similar cases for the government. So he brings a unique perspective to the litigation strategy and law in this area. Anuj, why don't you start out by summarizing CACI for us? Sure, Rob, and thanks for having me for the Bid Protest Podcast Triumphant Return. Uh, CACI involved an army procurement for a battlefield encryption device. CACI was eliminated from the competition due to a number of technical deficiencies identified in its proposal, CACI filed a protest at the Court of Federal Claims, challenging those assigned deficiencies. At the court, the intervener and the government moved to dismiss, arguing that CACI had an OCI resulting from previous work it had done providing systems engineering and technical assistance. They argued that as a result, CACI could not possibly win the award, was not an interested party, and therefore the court lacked jurisdiction over the protest. This was an interesting litigation strategy because during the procurement, CACI had submitted an OCI statement and the CO had made no finding as to an OCI. But during the court protest, the government submitted a declaration from the contracting officer stating that not only did CACI have an OCI, but it was the type that could not be mitigated. And so beyond that, the CO and the government submitted the declaration and a motion to dismiss. That's pretty interesting as it continues a trend that you and I have talked about previously, Anuj, in connection with the VS2 series of protests, that interveners nowadays are increasingly raising new dismissal or related arguments against a protester in the middle of protests, something that we didn't see as much in years past. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, as you and I discussed a while back uh, regarding VS2, it's fast becoming an issue that an intervener has to raise in its defense of an award decision, or else it will face an argument later on that it's precluded from doing so. So what happened here after the government raised the OCI dismissal argument? Well, the Court of Federal Claims refused to consider the contracting officer's declaration, which I get to some extent given that it was a wholesale 180 from the the non-OCI determination that uh, the agency had made during the contemporaneous evaluation process. But otherwise, the court ran with that um, that OCI allegation. Uh, The court conducted its own independent evaluation based on the evidence in the record and concluded that that evidence supported a prima facie showing of an OCI that CACI had not rebutted. On that basis, the court held that CACI lacked standing and dismissed the protest for lack of jurisdiction. And for good measure in the alternative, the Court of Federal Claims also considered and denied on the merits CACI's challenges to the Army's assignment of a variety of technical deficiencies to CACI's proposal. That's a tough one, losing on both aspects. So how did the Federal Circuit handle this, since that's the interesting case we're talking about today? Yeah, so the circuit really dug into this standing question and what impact that it had on the Court of Federal Claims jurisdiction. And ultimately, the circuit ruled that where the question of an offeror standing arises out of a statute, 
And here, I mean, the statute that we are typically talking about in the context of bid protests is the Tucker Act. Um, then the standing question is not jurisdictional, but goes to the goes to the merits. It's more like a prejudice question. And so that's separate and apart. You know, the, this idea of statutory standing, which is what this decision really focused on, is separate and apart from Article Three standing that you hear about in law school, which is you know more of the the case or controversy type standing. And in the context of a bid protest, I think the, the vast majority of standing cases are going to be statutory standing that arise out of the Tucker Act. And so, for that reason, this decision was actually quite remarkable in that it appears to rewrite a large swath of the court's earlier ju jurisprudence on both standing and prejudice. I mean, the circuit affirmatively states as much twice in the decision. It states at one point, our prior case law treating the interested party issue as a jurisdictional issue is no longer good law in this respect. And then to the point of, you know, statutory standing being more analogous to prejudice and therefore merits, the court ruled the issue of prejudice is no longer jurisdictional unless it implicates Article Three considerations and our cases to the contrary are no longer good law. And so if you are a, a protester, but you know, this is at least to some extent um, good news to the extent that um, you know, you're less likely to face motions to dismiss from the government that are premised upon a lack of standing because per CACI, those arguments are not jurisdictional and have to be rolled into merits briefing. Well, I'm looking forward to that impact in the future and, and not facing uh, motions to dismiss against my protests. But what was the practical impact here in the CACI decision? Well, because the circuit rule that the question of CACI standing resulting from a potential OCI was a merits question, it concluded that it was improper for the Court of Federal Claims to have reviewed the question de novo. Instead, the circuit held that the appropriate course of action would have been to remand the matter back to the contracting officer to conduct a fulsome OCI analysis, which the court could have then reviewed under the arbitrary and capricious standard. Although, for good measure, um, the circuit also held that because uh, it agreed with the Court of Federal Claims ruling on the technical deficiencies, Ultimately, none of that really mattered in this case, and it affirmed the lower court's ruling. So no impact here, and it didn't change the outcome for CACI. That's too bad. Anders, I'd like to switch gears a little bit and ask about a case that the circuit cited. The circuit cited to Turner Construction. Now, that was a prior decision where it was held that GAO had made an error by not giving deference to a CO's mid-protest OCI decision. How does the CACI decision here square with Turner, given that the circuit here refused to give deference to the CEO's mid-protest declaration? It's a great question, Rob, and it's not entirely clear how to square those two cases. The circuit here really paid no attention to the contracting officer's declaration, apart from acknowledging it at the outset. And that failure to really dig into that declaration is especially surprising because the Court of Federal Claims ultimately reached the exact same conclusion as the contracting officer did in its declaration, which was CACI did have an OCI that could not be mitigated. Um, I think the way to thread the needle between the two decisions is that both cases appeared to involve the reviewing tribunal. In Turner, it was the GAO. 
and in CACI here, it was the Court of Federal Claims undertaking a functionally de novo review of the OCI question instead of letting the contracting officer do it in the first instance. Now, that's not a perfect answer here because the contracting officer here did submit a declaration and the Court of Federal Claims ultimately reached the same conclusion. So at worst, even if the court should have deferred to the contracting officer's conclusion in its declaration, it feels like harmless error. But you know, that, that it's just really not explained in CACI. And so, you know, I don't want to try and impute thinking onto the panel that, that we just can't read into. I think the real key to both CACI and Turner is that the Court of Federal Claims and, and GAO, frankly, does not have license in the first instance to conduct an OCI investigation. That is a responsibility that is expressly charged to the contracting officer pursuant to the federal acquisition regulation at uh, 9.5. Right. The FAR is very clear that OCI decisions rest in the first instance with the CO. And that was clear in the FAR. It was clear in Turner. It was also clear in Axiom, another decision that the circuit relied on. So, okay, with that backdrop, I'd like to cover a somewhat similar Court of Federal Claims decision that uh, ironically, interestingly, what have you, came out just days after CACI. And now that's Piedmont Propulsion. This is just an interim order, not a fulsome decision, but it provides a pretty interesting contrast from CACI. In Piedmont, the protester filed a court protest with eight separate allegations, one of them being that the awardee had an OCI. Piedmont had apparently raised some, if not all, of its arguments, including the OCI challenge, on at least one, if not multiple, prior occasions through agency-level protests. The CO hadn't documented a formal OCI decision, but the court noted that in denying the agency-level protests, the agency must have reviewed the OCI allegations. They were in the protest, the agency denied the protest, therefore the agency must have considered and denied those OCI allegations. So where this relates to CACI now is that after Piedmont filed its court protest, the government requested to remand the protest to the agency so that the agency could review and document its consideration of the OCI allegation. Yeah, and that's something that, um, you know, when I was at the Department of Justice that we would frequently do. If, if we thought there might be an error or we wanted to bolster the record at issue before defending against a protest, we would request a remand. Um, now that I'm on the other side, I understand why some might view that, view that as an unfair advantage. Well, it is an unfair advantage because it usually works. <laughs> you get the advantage to go and document uh, a, a decision that either wasn't documented or wasn't fully documented. It's definitely an unfair advantage. But of course, it is the appropriate course in certain circumstances where a record isn't clear or, or further detail is needed. It just depends on the situation. But in any event, here in Piedmont, the court didn't buy it. The court instead denied their motion to remand and instead held that the case had to proceed to the merits. So Anish, you've read the decision as well. How did the court square that with the very recent CACI decision? Well, in one respect, it, it didn't. The, the court didn't actually cite CACI. And, you know, frankly, it's really interesting that it didn't because both Piedmont and CACI 
involved the same Court of Federal Claims judge, Judge Somers. So certainly he was aware of the circuit's more recent decision. But Judge Somers' reasoning was mostly one of judicial economy and that the agency had presumably already considered the OCI issue when it denied um, the agency level protests at issue. And the issue might not even need to be decided again, depending on how Piedmont's seven other arguments played out. And that, you know, that strikes me as a perfectly reasonable action for the court to take. Um, you know, if there are all these other issues to be adjudicated, you might as well get through them first to see whether the OCI issue is going to matter at all. Um, and finally, the court noted that it may need to give the agency an opportunity to reconsider and or document its OCI analysis through a remand at a later date. The court just wasn't willing to do so in the first instance. Again, I think that's a perfectly prudent way to handle a pending protest that has a lot of different issues percolating. Yes, and, and maybe that was the key here. The, the court effectively tipped its cap to CACI, recognizing that a future remand might be appropriate. But anyway, based on the limited information available, this case does appear materially different from CACI, but it provides an interesting contrast. You know, here the CO presumably already considered and rejected the OCI allegation, whereas in CACI, the CO was seeking to make an affirmative OCI determination in the middle of a protest and through only a declaration. So, you know, that does seem to have factored into the two decisions. Yeah, I think that's right. So, okay, let's get to the bottom line here. What should our listeners take away from these two decisions? Well, at least two things. First, contracting officers are charged in the first instance with assessing OCIs and making determinations, which will then be, um, you know, evaluated and adjudicated in a protest. Um, and second, GAO and the Court of Federal Claims are required to give deference to those determinations and to consider them under the arbitrary and capricious standard or, or reasonableness at GAO, as opposed to sort of kicking the tires on an OCI allegation de novo. Um, and the only real caveat to that deference is that it really will depend upon the thoroughness of the evaluation. And where the evaluation is scant, you know, or or just the declaration, which may have been the issue in CACI, it's not entirely clear from the circuit's decision, but under those circumstances, a remand back to the contracting officer may be necessary. Agreed. And I'll add one more takeaway here. As you mentioned about our prior discussion, it's becoming increasingly common for interveners to raise standing challenges or to otherwise attack a protester's evaluation, even if that uh, aspect of the evaluation isn't raised by the protester in its protest. You know, that's how the issue here in CACI started. And it's a good reminder for counsel to be aggressive, not only when pursuing protests, but also when intervening and defending against protests. Uh, absolutely agree. All right. Well, let's end on that before we find something on which we disagree. So to our listeners, we hope you found this discussion helpful. Uh, we will be bringing you more content about bid protest decisions and developments in the near future. And as always, thanks for listening. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest.